evidence and answers. You're listening to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucrin. Pat is a popular teacher, speaker, and author in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Each week, Pat and his friends provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ. This week, we will continue on with part two of a message Dr. Gary Habermas started the last time we were together entitled, Resurrection, Ultimate Proof of Life Beyond the Grave, from our recent Hawaii Apologetics Conference. Each year, Pat hosts this conference, which features some of the premier Christian scholars and apologists from around this nation. Our theme this year was Evidence of Life Beyond the Grave and featured noted Christian scholars, Dr. Gary Habermas and Dr. Ron Rhodes. Here's Dr. Habermas with the conclusion to this study. Luke at 85 or plus 55, and everybody puts John at about 95 or plus 65, right? You subtract 30 from 95. This is 60 years later. Now, this is not old. This is not late. I heard of a man years ago who was writing his memoirs of World War II. And he was writing in 1990. Now, depending on when World War II was, that could be 50 years earlier. 50 would be right about here. And this is only 15 years later. Now, I had a debate last year. I hate debates, but I always end up having them. doesn't kind of work like that. I was debating a well-known atheist, and he got up and he told the group. We were at a seminary, and he told this group of graduate students. He said, the Gospels are lousy sources because they're written too late after the cross. Okay, so wait a minute. Mark's too late at plus 50? This is their date. Evangelicals, by the way, put this Mark back about 10 years, put Matthew and Luke back about 20 years, and they agree on John, just so you know. All right, and Matthew's only 50? That's the guy who writes the World War II memoirs. Luke 55, John 65. Good historiographical grounds. And he said, the texts are too old. So we're having our dialogue part, and I started talking to him, and I said, let me ask you something. Gospels are not good sources, right? He said, nope, too late. I said, really? I'm thinking to myself, you know, you should know a little more about history. You shouldn't be talking about things you don't know. I didn't say that, but I felt like saying that. And I said to him, do we know very much about Alexander the Great? Oh, yeah. We know a lot about Alexander the Great, do we? You sure? Yeah, I'm sure. How good are our sources for Alexander the Great? Real good. All right. If that's the death of Alexander, ground zero, about 330 B.C. If that's the death of Alexander, when are our earliest texts? Our earliest complete text for Alexander's life, earliest one, is 350 years after ground zero. The best text for Alexander's life? Arian and Plutarch, plus four and a quarter to 450. John's too late at 65, yep. But Arian and Plutarch are just peachy at 425 to 450, yep. I like consistency, and I like fairness. 
He said, yeah, but the Gospels have miracles in them. Okay, so you can't accept miracles, right? No. But you'll accept Alexander, right? Yep. Plutarch's Alexander starts like this. It's commonly believed that Alexander was the son of Jupiter and his mother was a virgin. It's really good that these guys wrote without miracles. He said, we don't think that stuff's true. But you think we can know stuff about Alexander, right? Tell me what's wrong with this evidence. Didn't have an answer. Well, we went further into debate, and he said something else he couldn't back up, and it really ticked me because he was misleading the people in the crowd who didn't have a source. He said, and furthermore, well, how important are the appearances for Jesus? Because when Caesar Augustus died, 12 people saw him after his death, and I was fried. I leaned over to J.P. Moreland, who was next to me, because this was a three-on-three -three debate this weekend, and I said, did he say what I thought he said? That 12 people saw Caesar Augustus afterwards? J.P. said he did. I got up there and I said, your second point, 12 people saw Caesar Augustus after he died. The guy said, please don't ask me my source. <laughs> That's not scholarship. Anyway, I said, don't worry, I won't ask your source. I'm going to tell you what your source is. It's Suetonius, Roman historian, in his lives of Caesar, with 12 Caesars, one of his lives is Caesar Augustus. They say Caesar Augustus, when he died, they burned his body, and a Roman senator said... I saw his spirit ascend through the flames up to heaven. Interesting. Okay, as far as we know, nobody else sees this. It's a spirit. It's not a resurrection. No appearances. In fact, it's an argument against it, is it not, that he's the only one that saw it? Nobody else saw it? Nobody sees him. There are not 12 people who saw Augustus. Nobody saw Augustus. One guy claimed to see a ghost, a spirit, and you're going to hear about the, from Dr. Rhodes about that kind of stuff tonight. But that's what happens to our young people sometimes. They say, ah, it's nothing. Twelve people saw Augustus, and people go, I never heard that. Well, that makes me wonder about Jesus. And I say, let's remind these guys to do their research. That's horrible mistreatment of scholarship. There's nothing like that in the records. There are no Resurrection appearances. Jesus is the only founder of a major world religion whose followers claim that he was raised from the dead. Only one. There are any other takers. All right. Having said all that, I think this is a perfectly good approach. Take the Gospels. Gospels are reliable. For the rest of my argument, I'm going to argue this way and use the approach that the critics allow, and I'm going to use the Apostle Paul. Instead of talking about Mark, beginning at about... Plus what? 40. I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians. Everybody dates 1 Corinthians about 55 AD. Some say 53, some say 57. Doesn't make a difference if you're liberal or conservative. Dates about 55 AD. All right. When Paul writes 1 Corinthians, we're how far from ground zero? 25. Okay, that's pretty good. What are we looking for? Early eyewitnesses. Cool. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 15, 3, I gave you what I was given. I passed on to you the material that I was told. When and from whom did Paul receive this material? I won't be able to give you the whole argument. Maybe somebody wants to pursue this during the Q&A tonight. But critics, critics, this is about as unanimous a conclusion as it is in the New Testament. 
critics believe that Paul received this material about 35 AD. Or, plus what? Plus five. Now, we're used to telling people that the earliest gospel is about plus 40. But Paul's testimony on which 1 Corinthians 15 is based is only about plus five. In fact, a very well-known Cambridge University New Testament scholar, Richard Baucom, said that this is the consensus New Testament position. This is the consensus New Testament position, that Paul received this material about plus five. How do we know that? Do the math. Now, let's remember, who's Paul? He's an early writer, well-schooled, smart, can carry an argument. He's honest because he really believes he met the risen Jesus, and he really believes he's bringing the words of truth. Nobody questions that. He's honest. He says, I gave you this material, and he tells you when he got it. Here's ground zero. When does Acts chapter 9 happen? Paul's appearance on the way to Damascus. Three times in the book of Acts, 9, 22, 26. When does it happen? Well, most scholars put Paul's conversion at about plus 2. Some say plus 1. Some say plus 3. Average, plus 2. Ground zero. And to say how long was it after that Paul saw Jesus is like asking, when does Acts 9 come after Acts 1? About two years. And then Paul says, I didn't go running up to Jerusalem right away. I went off alone with the Lord for three years in Arabia, and then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before me. He does the math for you. He comes to Christ about plus two. He went up to Jerusalem three years later, two plus three, five. He comes to Jerusalem about 35 AD plus five. Somebody says, well, I think Paul accepted, saw Jesus at one year after the cross. Okay, now it's plus four. No, I think it's three years after. Okay, great, now it's plus six. It just doesn't make a lot of difference. This is early, 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 early. Paul gets his material about plus five. Then he says as Galatians 1 goes into Galatians 2, Paul says 14 years later, see how careful he is? He's a good teacher. 14 years later, I went back up to Jerusalem. Critics put this date at about 48 AD. 48 AD is only how long after ground zero? How many? 18. This is still very, very early. 18 years after. In Galatians 2, 2 is one of the most intriguing verses in the New Testament. It goes like this. I went up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before me, to set before them the gospel I was preaching. I like the King James here, but translations are roughly the same. To see if I was running or had run in vain. What? I went up to Jerusalem and talked to those who were apostles before me. See if we were all on the same page. I told them the gospel I was preaching. I want to make sure I wasn't running in vain. I want to make sure we're all saying the same thing. That's cool. But why did you wait plus 18 to check out the gospel? And I think Paul would say, you're not really following my argument real well, are you? I mean, you know, you need a graduate class. It works like this. This is at least my third shot at checking out this material. Three? Yeah. Jesus did it, okay? I met him on the road to Damascus, checkup number one, okay? I went to see the other apostles at plus five, checkup number two. This is at least my third time that I'm checking this material out. I went up there to check out the gospel. And what's the gospel again? God's side, deity, death, resurrection, 
And Paul says, you know something? We are on the same page. He says that? Yeah. Look it up. A few verses later, five words in English. They added nothing to me. I put the gospel I was preaching on the table, and they added nothing to me. What's that mean? They were going, ditto, check, 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 good job. In fact, so you know that's what they did. In verses 9 and 10, Barnabas is there. In verses 9 and 10, they lay hands on Paul and Barnabas and give them the right hand of fellowship. Would they do that if Paul and Barnabas were heretics? What does that mean? That means we agree with you. And they said, you take this message to the Gentiles, we'll take it to the Jews. What message? The one we agree about. What's that? The gospel. It's what? The deity, death, resurrection of Jesus. You take it to them, we'll take it to the Jews. Okay, so we have three now. Jesus tells Paul. He gets it from the other disciples. Who's there? Who's here when he goes at plus five? Galatians chapter 1, verses 18 and following. I was there for 15 days, and I only saw two apostles, Peter and James, the brother of Jesus. Barterman, the skeptic, you're going to hear me using his name here a few times, very well-known skeptic, he says to these radical guys today who are not scholars, who do blogs, who don't believe Jesus existed, he tells them to grow up, get a degree, and know what they're talking about before they write. He literally tells them that. And then he says this. He says, don't be upset with me. I'm not a Christian. I'm just telling you what the data are. How do we know George Washington first president of the United States? I'm just telling you what the data are. And what are the data? Barnabas says, Paul went to Jerusalem, spent 15 days with Peter and James, the brother of Jesus. And then Barnabas says, I'd like to spend 15 days with Peter and James, the brother of Jesus. Oh, so would I. And then he says this, stunning comment for a critic. Where do we get closer to the eyewitness testimony in the New Testament than right here? It's Bart Ehrman. Paul interviews Peter and James about the gospel, deity, death, resurrection of Jesus. Where do we get any closer to eyewitness testimony than right here? Bart Ehrman doesn't argue that we have the gospels, and that's the best eyewitness testimony. He argues that Paul was in the right place at the right time, and he interviewed the eyewitnesses, and we can benefit from his interview. There's a little, well, it's not so little, but there's a Greek word in Galatians 1, 18. The Greek word is hysteresi. The root word is histor, H-I-S-T-O-R. It's a Greek word from which we get our word history. Now, I'm not saying that because that's our root word for history, therefore this means history. You really can't do that. But you want to know what the word means in the first century. And histor is used. There's several word studies of this from not evangelicals. And the conclusion is, histor means to check something out firsthand. Unfortunately, our translations say, he saw them. He got acquainted with them. It's a lot stronger than that. It's more like he quizzed them. He inquired of them. He asked questions. He pursued this. So Paul says, I went up to Jerusalem... About plus five, I spent 15 days with Peter and James talking about the gospel, and I interviewed them. You know what he's doing? Research. That's what this is called, research, because he interviewed 
the eyewitnesses. The guy who wrote his memoirs of World War II in 1990, he might have some quotes from some colleagues who actually fought in World War II. That's research. And Paul's doing it. Now here, when he goes back up, plus 18, somebody else is there. James is still there, the brother of Jesus. Peter's still there. Paul is still there. Does anybody know the fourth person? Who's in Jerusalem? What other apostle is there 18 years later? Well, about 13 years later after that event. But how many? I mean, who? Sound like someone said it. No, Peter was already there. Peter, James, the brother of Jesus, Paul, and John. John, two of the 12 were there, Peter and John, and two others called apostles, James, the brother of Jesus, and Paul. Let me tell you folks something. No early Christian is more influential than these four. These are the earliest, most influential Christians. Paul, Peter, James, the brother of Jesus, not James, the son of Zebedee, he's dead. Acts chapter 12, and John. The big four are here. Some of you folks have come a long ways to come to this conference this weekend. How far would you go to see Peter, Paul, and Mary? No, you know what? <laughs> Mary was probably there. Okay, how far would you go to see Peter, Paul, James, the brother of Jesus, and John? That'd be worth the trip, wouldn't it? Barterman says, I allow historical sources 100 years after Jesus. That's a fair time. 100 years, Barterman. 100 years. We're all the way at John, and this is only plus 65. We've got 35 years to go. And when Barterman tells us how many sources we have for the crucifixion of Jesus... Ancient critics say if you have two sources for something, it's almost impregnable. Two sources. You know how many Bart Ehrman lists for the death of Jesus? Twelve. Twelve sources. You go, yeah, it's all in the New Testament. First of all, critics allow that if you use the right ones. Number two, four of them are not. Four of them are pagan sources. Twelve sources for the cross. All right, we're starting to bring this to a close here. This is when Paul heard the material. Don't miss the forest for the trees. Paul got this material at plus five. But if Paul got it, i.e. the disciples' testimonies about what they saw, the risen Jesus, they heard about the resurrection. If he got it at plus five, Peter and James had it before Paul had it. Is that fair? If Peter and James gave it to him, they had it before Paul had it. And the material on which their testimony is based is earlier still, right? Paul hears it. They were the ones that saw it. The events themselves are earlier. Let me give you the latest material on the history of the resurrection. And here's why scholars take this material so strongly. Critics tell us that we can get this testimony of Paul's. Remember I told you, right guy, right time, right place, good scholar, honest. They say we can get this material all the way back to the cross. You think 65 is good? How about zero? We take zero? How do you get back to zero? Well, Paul got it, heard it from them. They had it from the events themselves. The critics say that? James D.G. Dunn, as influential a scholar as there is today, critical scholar, says, this material was available in orally transmissible form. That means it was memorized and passed on in a 
1 Corinthians 15, 3 and following. In the Greek, it reads like this. Da, 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 da. Da, 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 da. There's two stanzas. And James D.J. Dunn, a critic, says this material was available six months after the cross. Not the events, but the material in da, 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 da form. You know why? You know why we need da, 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 da form? Scholars today think that most of Jesus' audience, up to 90%, were illiterate. How do you teach very important truth to illiterate people? Well, you know, if you learn a song, you'll remember the words, right? You can be illiterate and remember the words to the song. Or you memorize something. You may not read them, but you can memorize them. And so they put it in a memorizable form. We have that in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and following. It takes a long time to unpack that. But critics granted. And James D.G. Dunn says, it's no older than months after the cross. And I'll leave you with this one. Bart Ehrman says, we have several New Testament sources, not just 1 Corinthians 15. He says, we have several New Testament sources that date one to two years after the cross. Here's the best-known critic in America. And he says, our sources, 1 Corinthians 15 included, go back one to two years after the cross. Do you folks realize how incredible this is? This is the latest research on the resurrection. Let me make a practical comment here. My lecture tonight has to do with life after death, resurrection and life after death. Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, our loved ones who died in Christ have died in vain. My wife had cancer, like the testimony we had earlier. Only my wife died. She died of stomach cancer at the age of 43. And four kids were left in the house. The youngest was only nine years old. Guess how important the resurrection was to me when Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 18, if Christ has not been raised, our loved ones who died in Christ have died in vain. But if Christ has been raised, our loved ones who died in Christ have not, not died in vain. Because Paul says in Thessalonians, he says, we mourn, but not as those without hope. What does that mean? That means our belief in an afterlife is grounded. How do you know that? The end of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul draws three conclusions. I'm only going to talk about one of them real quickly. Paul says, end of 1 Corinthians 15, he says, Death, where's your sting? Grave, where's your victory? Now, I'm an ex-football player, football lover, hockey player. I was nine years head coach, ice hockey. I like contact sports. I would play golf. I've never played golf before. I would play golf if you could hit people. <laughs> I don't mind it if you like poetry, but I don't care for poetry. That's just me. I will tell you from the commentaries, Paul is not doing this. Oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, grave, where's your victory? There's a place for that, but that's not what he's doing. Read the commentaries. He's trash-talking death. You know why you moms don't like your boys trash-talking? Because trash-talking is about me. Paul wasn't talking about him. He was bragging about his Lord. And here's what he says. I'm juicing this up a little, but this is what Paul's doing in 1 Corinthians 15, 57. He's going, death, you got something on me? You've got nothing. You've got nothing. My Lord was raised from the dead and you're losing, I know, you can hurt me. I know you can hurt me, but we won. 
We're going to win. Look at the score. You lost. You couldn't keep our Lord in the grave. So tell me something. Where is your sting? And where's your victory? You lost. Not because of me, because my Lord conquered you. The resurrection of Jesus says that we mourn when our loved ones die, but not as those without hope. I leave you tonight with the words of our Lord from the Gospel of John. Because I live, you shall live also. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers. And I hope you enjoyed listening to one of our messages from this past year's Hawaii Apologetics Conference. Our theme was Evidence of Life Beyond the Grave and featured a wonderful lineup of scholars who presented fascinating and inspiring seminars. If you would like a copy of all the seminars from this past year's conference, log on at evidenceandanswers.org. Pat's ministry relies on the generous donations from you, our listeners. If you've been blessed by Pat's teaching, please support him in prayer and with a financial gift by logging on at evidenceandanswers.org. Join us here next week or on the web for more evidence and answers.